Coming up, we say farewell to the Sports Dead Zone as I'll usher in the following. Let the madness begin as the tournament commences tomorrow. Baseball is finally back and there's been some wheeling and dealing as teams check in down in Florida and out in Arizona. The NFL begins its season on Wednesday, but there's been a lot of player movement in the past week. And wait, what? Tom Brady? Are you serious? Watch out now, but here come the Nets, and the time has come for Kyrie Irving to start playing home games. Those are just some of the topics that I'll touch on with lots more behind that. You've come to the right place to digest, and I'll dissect all that's happening with the above. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to... Listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, and why not? We've turned the clocks up. The days are longer. The Ides of March are here. The sports world will start to light up as daylight savings time. Spring is on deck. What more can we ask for? Oh, warmer days, but that's going to come. Let's not rush that, especially if you're here in the Northeast. The same goes with tons of fast-paced, rapid-fire sports talk for the casual diehard fan, as that's on deck. So you've come to the right place to listen to it all, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me for now 242 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. It is a Monday, March the 14th in the year of our Lord, 2022. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What's expected on this podcast is as follows. We will finally have a baseball season. The players and owners made an agreement last week to where players have been reporting and will report over the course of the next 24 hours where exhibition games will begin this Thursday and then three weeks from said Thursday will be the beginning of the baseball season. I'll talk about how we got here. Not only that, but also a lot of players have been Moving ever since last week's agreement, and there's still plenty to be had if you're Freddie Freeman, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, etc. So I'll touch on that later on. I'm playing injured, guys, as you can hear by my throat, but I'll get into what's happening with Major League Baseball as well as the NFL. I tell you, the Super Bowl already had come and gone. It's been a month since that game, and here it is leading up to the week of the business 
side of the NFL season beginning, and we've had lots of player movement, including Russell Wilson, but also, did Tom Brady have to throw the football world upside down with his announcement yesterday that he's going to return back to Tampa? Oh, geez, yes, we're going to have to talk about that, and all that's going to take place here with the Shield coming up in the next few days. The NBA, what about the Brooklyn Nets? Are they on the fast track heading up toward the Eastern Conference? Still remains to be seen, but they've won three games in a row. Kyrie was in the building at Barclays yesterday, but now it's time for Kyrie to play in home games. So you know I have two cents to share about that. Also, what's happening on the ice, Jack Eichel's return to Buffalo as a member of the Vegas Golden Knights, as well as Alexander Ovechkin going up the goal-scoring ladder. This is going to be a jam-packed show, so you definitely won't want to miss what it is that I have to say. All of that, including my hero and zero of the week. For starters, I am playing injured people. I know I have, over the weekend, developed a little bit of a dry throat, or not even a sore throat, but now I may have a head cold on the way. I hope that's not the case. I know just a couple of months ago, I had gotten a cold, and also, full disclosure, your favorite little podcast host also caught COVID. And even though it was super mild, thankfully, it was nothing more than a head cold and a little bit of a cough, but that was it. It didn't really run me ragged or have me out for a period of time. But now as we're into March and spring is just six days away, here it is. I don't know where this came from. And this is coming from someone who really gets sick. But if you hear me coughing or the voice goes in different directions, you understand why. But you know I'm going to fight through it because this is now the turnaround. The sports dead zone, as we talked about, and as I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, to think four weeks from yesterday, just a month already, was when the Rams and the confetti came down on SoFi as Super Bowl champions. And now, just a day away from the tournament, and obviously with everything else that's happening in the sports world, it is now going to ratchet up because thanks to baseball coming back, and it'll be a part of our sports consciousness moving forward. Obviously, the fall winter sports, which will embark on champions coming up next month. Now, granted, the NHL won't begin their playoffs until that first couple of days of May. But with the Masters, the NFL draft, a lot that's going to take place here between now and pretty much right through the spring into the early part of the summer. Once we get an NBA champion and a Stanley Cup champion and then baseball will stand alone, This is going to be a very interesting stretch for all the major sports. And i got to throw football in there because they've made some hay over the last week, which was a little bit unexpected. But now we can finally punt the sports dead zone away. And let's segue right now to what the craziest three weeks of the college basketball season will begin. And that will be with the NCAA tournament. Now, one thing, this is a podcast that I could really spend an hour on the following. Obviously the tournament, everything that's happening in the NFL, and now with Tom Brady coming back into the mix, that in itself could just be a podcast, just him coming back. The baseball season and everything that's going to unfold here with the players that haven't been signed, and where's Freddie Freeman going, what about Carlos Correa, etc. And then of course the situation with the Nets and Kyrie and Kevin Durant, him scoring 53 points yesterday against the Knicks on national TV. All of those in itself could be its own podcast. 
but I'm going to condense it, try to be as concise, try to be as thorough, have that follow through, because Lord knows, I could babble, I could go left, right, sideways, up, down, in all different directions, but I'm going to make sure that it's streamlined as perfect and as seamless as possible. And of course, we have to start with the tournament, because as of right this second, I'm sure you're filling out your bracket now, and the last person you want to rely on is Jay Reels, because... This year, as I've said weeks ago, this is going to be probably the most unpredictable tournament that we'll ever witness. And if you're going to bank on what it is that I choose, and yes, I will go through the brackets. I'm not going to go through each game because, again, that's going to take forever. I will get into certain scenarios as far as teams that could surprise, teams that could pretty much be a Cinderella story. But as I said a couple of weeks ago, Is there going to be such thing as a Cinderella story this year? Now, yes, if you're a 15 or 16 seed, maybe even a 14, historically, yes, that's the case. And this year, that shouldn't be any different. But when you look at just the unpredictability and the scope of what the tournament is all about, the one and done, you see a lot of those 5-12s that certainly there's always going to be one team, maybe even two that will fall on the wayside and go home much earlier than they expected. Sometimes you get that 413. Yeah, when you get to 611, that's also a popular matchup in a bracket that seems to go by the 11 seed coming out victorious. So with this year, and we could go through it all, but again, I just want to get more to the nuts and bolts and storylines of what this tournament is going to be I'll give you my final four, obviously my national championship prediction, and then who I think will be victorious come, what is that, April the 6th, I believe. I should know the date off the top of my head. Actually, it's April 4th down in New Orleans as to who will be the last team standing and become the champions of college basketball on the men's side. So if you're wondering, Jay Reels over the past week, who are the teams on the bubble, who are the teams that pretty much ran the table, a la Vatek, give them credit for winning the ACC first time in their school's history, beating Duke in the process. But if you're looking for me to break down all the at-larges, all the teams that were on the bubble, the teams that should have been in the tournament, that are now on the outside looking in, unfortunately, you're going to have to go elsewhere. Because yes, I could get into that. Yes, I could break down which team deserves to be in the tournament and which team doesn't, so on and so forth. But again, this podcast will be five hours based on what I mentioned just a few minutes ago as far as all these different sports could be their own podcast. So let's get right to it. Let's go through these brackets. Let's dissect who I think will be these last four teams standing at least when it comes to the Final Four. We have to begin with the playing games that will take place tomorrow and Wednesday, which... I remember when this first was instituted somewhere, I guess, what was it? Easily a decade, probably more, maybe a decade and a half at this point, to where we kind of thumbed our nose at these playing games on Tuesday and Wednesday, almost not counting because a lot of these teams that were coming in were usually a 16 seed, but then over the years they broke it down to where you have a 16 matchup with two teams, and then of course... I don't know when they implemented the two 12 seeds to be part of the mix. But for tomorrow night, 
our first game, and you're going to have True TV. You have the whole lineup, whether it's TBS, TNT, CBS, I'm sure Animal Planet, uh, all these other networks that are going to be involved with these tournament games. But tomorrow we have Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. They'll go up against Texas Southern. I'm sure there may be some juice in that region because of these two schools going at it. Again, I couldn't even tell you one player on both of these teams if my life depended on it. But I would think there'd be some juice to see who would be the team that would advance and be the sacrificial lambs to go up against Kansas. But that will kick off your tournament coverage tomorrow, 640, followed by Indiana and Wyoming. Of course, we know about Indiana's history, although a far cry from the days of Bobby Knight. But they'll go up against Wyoming in the 9-10 matchup there on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, we'll have another doubleheader starting off with Bryant against Wright State. 6.40 p.m., another True TV Classic. And then you'll have Notre Dame and Rutgers, some local attention, which will be interesting. Rutgers just right across the river there, New Brunswick. They'll go up against the Fighting Irish in Notre Dame. So those are your first four games that will cap off the playing tournament as we head into Thursday, which, as we all know, starting from 12 noon up until pretty much past midnight, for not only Thursday, but also Friday, it is going to be wall-to-wall college basketball. Everybody's going to be at full attention, office pools, tournaments that I'm sure brackets will be blown in the first day. And as I said, with the chances of a lot of teams probably going to be tons of upsets in the making, you can't even predict how this is going to shake down. And all we could look at here over the course, starting Thursday, I get it if you're a dynamo college basketball fan, you're going to at least keep an eye, if not fully watch, what's going to happen tomorrow night as well as Wednesday. But as we all know, the tournament begins in earnest on Thursday, and we're all going to be glued to find out who, after the weekend, will be part of the Sweet 16 heading into the following week, come a week from this Thursday. And just from the surface, when you look at all these brackets, the one that, to me, sticks out easily is the East. That is a blue blood, and when I mean by blue blood, we're talking about the teams that are the pillars of strength when it comes to college basketball. The teams that are always close to, if not at the top of the rankings, usually as one seeds in years past, but when you have the likes of Kentucky, UCLA, Baylor, obviously they're going to be number one in this region, but then also North Carolina. When you have those three teams to complement Baylor, that looks like it's going to be a tough bracket and that whomever comes out of that region is going to certainly earn it, especially when they make it their way down to New Orleans for Final Four. And that's where we're going to begin because as I see it, this is a region where we usually see Duke here in the East and they seem to have a cakewalk every year. Now granted, they don't make it to the Final Four every year. But this is one where it's pretty much the Duke Invitational as they pretty much have a just a cupcake of a schedule. I don't want to say of a schedule because it all depends on who they play, obviously. But that's not the case this time around. But for the Baylor Bears who are looking to defend their national title from last year, and when you're staring at a second-round matchup against the Char Heels, now Baylor, again, nobody's going to doubt their championship medal and what they did last year and also they had a very good year this year to where they were number one for a good stretch there in the early part 
middle and latter part of January. But Baylor deserving of a number one seed, but you have to wonder whether or not that the Carolina Tar Heels, where they're not a vintage Tar Heel team, nobody's going to confuse this with a Dean Smith team of the 80s and 90s or even a Roy Williams team here in the 2000s, but you do have to wonder whether or not if Baylor, and this pretty much can be said for any team or any other number one seed when we go around the horn, whether you're Kansas, Arizona, and Gonzaga, who are the number one team overall in the tournament. But that's going to be a game early on that if both teams advance, and you would expect them to, to watch out for and circle whether or not Baylor will have their first test against a Carolina team who, as we've seen, just eight, nine days ago, beat Duke. Now, granted, they fell short of even making it to the ACC final, but we know that they're going to be dangerous. We know that they're going to be a team that, just like any of these other top schools, could certainly have a deep run, could make it to a Final Four. And not only that, but for Baylor to get out of that stretch and then maybe face a UCLA down the road and even a Kentucky, is it going to be a tall order? When you're a one seed, you can't even say that. But for all intents and purposes, if they do get back to a Final Four, they will certainly earn it. Now, this is only by chalk. We may not know if Akron has it in them to upset UCLA here in the first round. We won't know if Marquette will get past North Carolina here come this first round as well. And then the Murray States of the world, who a lot of people think that they could be a Cinderella darling, even though they're ranked seventh in this bracket. But when I look at it, when it's all said and done, Texas, they've never been a big-time tournament team. We've seen them fold in big spots. And Purdue is another team that you're going to have to pay attention to. They were ranked number one early this year. I get it that the that region where people are going to think in Fort Wayne, Indiana, wait a minute, what about the Boilermakers? How come you're not giving them their just due? Well, they're a team that you certainly have to give them an outside shot to maybe making that run. But even going back to the days of Gene Keedy, they certainly weren't a team that delivered in the clutch or when the spotlight was shining bright. So when it's all said and done, as I look ahead into my crystal ball, and I will say this, I'm not picking four ones. I've never done that as long as I've been not only whether hosting a podcast or even my old radio shows, whether it's on the internet or even going back in the day at the community center up in the Bronx. But for this region, and as much as I do not want to choose Baylor, I'm picking them and you're going to know why. Later on, I think Baylor's going to run the gamut. I think they're going to show enough toughness. Would I be shocked if they lose in the second round game, whether it's to North Carolina or Marquette? I don't think anything will shock me. We've seen Virginia, if you remember a few years ago, as a number one seed lose for the first time ever to a 16. Could that happen this year? Is it out of the realm of possibility? I can't say it is. So, I'm going to choose Baylor here, and I'll get into more reasons why I think that they'll come out of this region. I'm going to move over to the Midwest. Kansas, as I said, that's your number one in that region. When we look at this bracket, we look at teams like Auburn, Wisconsin, even Providence, who did win the regular season in the Big East, but did not fare well in the Big East tournament. And this is a region where it's a little bit of unpredictability when it comes to some of these teams because, yes, we've seen Wisconsin go deep in years past to a Final Four. 
And the only reason why I'm bringing it from a historical sense is because sometimes with these schools, that plays into it. Because when you look at Gonzaga, even going back 20-some-odd years ago, they were the little engine that could to the point where now they're just one step away from finally winning that national title. And when we've seen schools go up the ladder, we know about the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the North Carolinas, the Kansases, even to a certain extent. But even teams like Auburn that haven't really been staples when it comes to March Madness. Or even another team like Providence, where they had their run going way back, where Rick Pitino was the coach. And Billy Donovan, yes, that Billy Donovan, the coach of the Chicago Bulls, when they made their run to the Final Four back in 1987. Some of those schools, yes, they may have a little bit of a pedigree, but can you 100% trust that this is going to be a team that's going to come out of this region and make some hay and be able to get themselves in position to not only win a couple of games or make it to a Final Four and, dare I even say, to a national championship? Kansas has always been that team with Bill Self. I get it that they won the title now, what, 14 years ago with Mario Chalmers and company when they beat Derrick Rose and Memphis, if you remember that game, and Memphis had a big lead there late and they just spit the bit. But overall, when I look at this bracket, it's kind of tough for me to want to choose Kansas only because I always feel like Bill Self, they always stub their toe here, usually in the second round, maybe in the first of the Sweet 16 game. And I'm going to go more by gut here as opposed to just thinking that it's safe to throw in Auburn or even say maybe even Providence has a run considering what they did in the regular season even though they weren't able to make it to a Big East final. But something tells me when I look at the Midwest and knowing that they're going to have some home cooking. Now, looking at the bracket here, I don't know where these games are being played. You'd think I should know this off the top of my head or even have a bracket where it's going to have the locations of where these games are going to be played. But the one team that I think is going to come out of this bracket here is going to be Wisconsin. They've had a very good year, led by Coach Greg Gard. Johnny Davis, who chances are will probably be the Big Ten Player of the Year. That's a guy that I'm sure a lot of people have circled or looked at in this bracket as a guy that could carry his team not only through this region, but to a Final Four. And I understand that this is going based on gut, that it's not to discredit Auburn, it's not to discount Providence, even Kansas for that matter. But something tells me that Wisconsin, based on what they did many years ago, I know that was 2015, remember when they upset Kentucky, but there's just something about Wisconsin that I like. I just feel as if they're going to have a long run in front of them and watch it fizzle as they lose to Colgate, as a lot of people think that Colgate could be an upset special here in the Midwest. But I think that the Badgers have it in them. I think that they're going to be, I'm not going to say under the radar by any stretch, or it's going to be a low-key lead or build-up to them going to a Final Four. But just looking at this region, I feel as if the Badgers are going to be the ones that are going to cut the nets down as they head to a Final Four down in New Orleans. Now to move to the South, Arizona, we know the year that they've had. Villanova winning the Big East tournament as they did here over the weekend at the Garden. You also have Tennessee, which has been a team more so on the football side than basketball. Have not had those big successful postseason runs when it comes to bowls or championships and things of that nature. And this is a region that you would think 
it's going to come down to two teams. Again, Seton Hall is an 8-9 going up against Arizona. Can they pull off an upset? Houston, they've had a very good year. What do you think that they could do here in this tournament? The fighting Illini. I look at this bracket, and even with Michigan here, and not having a great year, we know what happened toward the end of the year there with Jerron Howard, him being suspended, and then just bowing out of the Big Ten tournament there in the first round. And now here they are as we look through this region, and to me, I only see two teams coming out of it. Would I be surprised if any of the other teams from three down, let's say to 10, make it to the Final Four? I can't say only because of everything I mentioned prior that this is a season or a year where we don't know what's going to happen. That's not to say that your Final Four are going to be all double-digit seeds. And, I mean, that would be the ultimate shock. But as I look at this region... Yes, can Arizona make it to a Final Four? Absolutely. But Villanova and what they've done this year, and obviously them being in the Big East and having an eye on them, more so, as I've been talking about here for the last 10 minutes, pedigree. And what they've been able to do here over the last half decade, maybe even 10 years. And we know that Villanova's won two national titles. We know that Jay Wright has a penchant for coming up big in these spots. They always seem to have the clutch gene, especially here, over the last five, six years. And Arizona, again, people are going to look at this team and think of Lute Olsen. They're going to think of the championship team there going back to the 90s. They're going to think of all the players that have come out of that program. And obviously, this is a different Arizona team. But the familiarity with Villanova, knowing that they've been here, knowing that they've won, I have them coming out of this region. That's not to say that any of these other teams can. And of course, we could say that for all the other brackets, people. So I'm not breaking any news. But I can see Villanova and what they've done this year, and not only that, but some momentum here with the Big East. Granted, it's not the Big East of years past. It's not the behemoths of Georgetown, St. John's, UConn, etc. But you got to give Jay Wright and company the benefit of the doubt, and I'm looking at them coming out of this region. And then we go out west. Gonzaga ranked number one overall in the tournament, and you got Duke there. And I look at this bracket similar to the South, because Gonzaga, Duke, and I don't want to say in everybody else, and that's not to say that Arkansas isn't going to be a tough out, or even UConn for that matter, the aforementioned Texas Tech, the Red Raiders have had a phenomenal year, but I just don't see any of these teams being a threat to the top two teams. Again, this is going by gut. It's not as if I watched Memphis all year. It's not as if I've watched Arkansas or Alabama or even Michigan State. And I know that's a team that could be dangerous, especially when you have a coach like Tom Izzo and talk about pedigree and talk about just everything that goes on there in East Lansing over the years. Granted, they haven't won in a long time. It's been, what, 22 years since they won a national championship? But Izzo, we know the track record. We know the back of his coaching playoff resume or tournament resume, excuse me. That's a team that you certainly got to look out for. But then Davidson is also a live dog too. I still look at this bracket as being one of two teams coming out. And to me, it has to be Gonzaga for this reason. As I said before, they've been going up the ladder slowly but surely over the last two decades. And last year, a lot of people thought that they were going to be the team that was going to win a national championship considering they beat UCLA in an epic Final Four game on Jalen Suggs, that 40-foot three-pointer that he had at the buzzer. 
And we all thought that it was going to be Gonzaga's year to win. But we all know they were flat against Baylor. They were pretty much ran out of the gym. And you would think this year is going to be a different story. Not only with the same cast of characters that we saw last year. Obviously, minus Jalen Suggs. A guy like Drew Timmy. And then, of course, the one guy that everybody's been falling in love with throughout the course of not only just the recent tournaments, but just the whole college basketball year, is the center in Chet Holmgren. He could be the guy that could actually put his team over the top and win a national title this year. And I'm sure a lot of eyeballs are going to be focused on him. We all know Gonzaga has a lot of pressure because with what happened last year and then even off the court with Mark Few, the coach of the Gonzaga Bulldogs, him being pulled over in a resort somewhere in Wyoming, Montana, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest where he had to deal with that throughout the course of the offseason and then coming into this year and knowing that this team had to have a championship or bust mentality based on what took place last year and pretty much the trajectory of this institution here going back to the latter part of the 90s into the 2000s. And now you have a final four that I'm going to choose two number ones in Baylor and Gonzaga. I have a two-seed in Villanova and a three-seed in Wisconsin. And this is why I chose Baylor to be coming out of this region to match up against Gonzaga to have a, not for a championship, I understand, but for them to have that rematch, to face off in a Final Four again, but this time for the right to go to a national championship game. And I see Gonzaga coming out on top, beating Baylor there in the first, and I would think that would probably be the nightcap if I had to choose if both teams are on that collision course. Now, I would also think that these games are pretty much set as to which bracket will play first at 540, and then I guess the second game will be somewhere around 820 off the top of my head. Or maybe it's 6-10 and 9-10. Who knows? And then you have Villanova, Wisconsin. That Both of these matchups are going to be tough. No matter what. If it does happen to come to fruition. But I'm going to choose Villanova to then face off against Gonzaga. I think it's going to be Gonzaga's time. I mean, if it isn't, when is it going to be, right? I think Gonzaga's going to be your national title. And he's, they're going to come out victorious after all these years, all the blood, sweat, tears. And even going back to last year, to know that they were that close and they came up short. Granted, they won a just a barn burner of a game that lasted almost, I believe, till midnight before they had to turn around and play against Baylor in the championship game. But I think Gonzaga is going to be that team that's going to cut down the nets. They're going to finally be crowned national champions. And... Who knows? Villanova, of course, could be that team. Same for Baylor. Same for a lot of these teams. Again, it is pretty much going to be a crapshoot. This isn't going to be a year where you're going to circle five or six teams that are going to win the national championship. Yes, will there be a team or two that you could look at and say, ah, maybe they could get themselves to a Final Four? Could they even think about getting to a national championship? Absolutely. But I think when it's all said and done, Gonzaga's going to be the team that's going to be crowned the 2022 NCAA Men's Championship. And before I move on, one last thing. I got to talk about Georgetown for a second for the five Georgetown fans that are out there listening to this. And again, people are going to say, Jay Reels, why are you even discussing Georgetown? 
they, they've been so far of an afterthought, it's not even silly. Well, the only reason why I bring them up because not only are they my favorite team, and this time last year, I was just aglow with excitement, even though I knew that they were going to be doomed in that first round, considering they had to run the table to win the Big East, and then were just blitzed by Colorado in that first round game, where, I mean, what could you say? It was just a disaster. But for Georgetown to not only lose 21 straight to end their college basketball season, they did not win a game in 2022 because their last win was December 15th against Howard. They actually beat Longwood, a team that made it into the tournament this year. And I believe they're playing in the Midwest region against the Volunteers. They're playing Tennessee, and that's actually in the South, excuse me, not the Midwest. So if you want to hang your tiny little baseball cap on that coat rack to think that at least Georgetown beat a team that was in the tournament. Granted, it's Longwood, and it's, I believe it's their first ever opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. But for the Hoyas to end the way they did, losing 21 straight, haven't won a game, and now it's going to be three months from tomorrow. Even though Patrick Ewing did get a vote of confidence from the university, but... This is going to be just a tough, long offseason, if you will, for the Hoya institution because next year, this is going to be unacceptable. And it's sad because we all know Patrick Ewing by far is Georgetown's best player in its history. And to come off of a year where they were, what, 6-24, I believe? Obviously, it's unacceptable. But with the way the world works in 2022, kids are going to go to the bigger schools. They're going to go play at the Kansases, the Dukes, Kentuckys, the Carolinas, etc. And as we all know, it's all about the players and recruiting. This isn't 1985 where you're going to get one guy like a Patrick Ewing and then complimentary pieces around it, whether your name is Reggie Williams, Michael Jackson, Ralph Dalton, David Wingate. You just go on down the line. That's not going to be the case here. So I'll end it with that. Georgetown has a lot of work to do, especially with these transfer portals too. Players going in and out as we saw a couple of years ago with Mac McClung. And it is an uphill battle for a once proud school like Georgetown to even be anything close to a tournament team, let alone to be even relevant in college basketball. So, all right, now let me segue to baseball because thankfully... Both the players and owners had the presence of mind to sign on the dotted line. It was more of the players because at this time last week, we were pretty much at an impasse knowing that we lost the first six games of the season where opening day was going to start March 31st and now it was in jeopardy to where even April 7th was looking very dubious. But then late Tuesday night into Wednesday, a deal was struck to where the players... Listen, I don't know how much more of a silver platter did the owners need to hand this over to the players to say, hey, we're giving you more than what you probably ever expected. And I get it that they got slaughtered the past couple of negotiations between the players and owners. So they tried to get it all back in one shot. But when you look at what had taken place to where, and we've said this for weeks now, but when it came to the increase of the minimum salary from 575000 to 700000 the competitive balance tax, which started off at 210 now is up to 230 
And again, the players wanted up higher, but they went up $20 million here over the course of a week. Because as we all know, two weeks ago, they weren't having it where the tax was somewhere, I believe, in the range of $10 million north of 210 So they tacked on another $10 million on top of that. And then the arbitration-eligible pool, which was originally, I believe, $30 million. Oh, no, it's in essence of around $20 million. They upped it to 30 and now it's been hiked up to $50 million. The players wanted 80 The owners gave it 50 So... Why were the players, and in particular the executive council, because all eight of them, who five are Scott Boras clients, they all took the thumbs down approach, and the other three who were on that council as to vetoing this particular proposal. But now as we got the player reps involved throughout the sport, all 30 of them, they voted 26 in favor of it to four not in favor for the grand total of 26 to 12 and sadly, one of the four teams that took the thumbs-down approach was the Mets. I believe it was the Mets, the Yankees, I believe the Cardinals, and I don't know if it was the Cubs or the Dodgers. I don't even think it was the Dodgers, to be honest with you. But the Mets were involved, and we all know that the Mets are now going to be the big bully in baseball, considering who the owner is and how much he's going to, at all costs, bring a championship to Flushing. But the... Players, and thankfully, when the reps got involved, the rank and file, if you will, and we all knew, even last week, that if you got a poll of all the major league players on them choosing whether or not to accept this deal, you knew there was going to be a vast majority that was going to say yes. And it's sad that the voices of major league baseball have to be the players that are making the bulk of the money. So whether your name is Garrett Cole, whether your name is Max Scherzer, whether your name is Francisco Lindor, these are guys that are in these meetings day in and day out where the little guy, you can forget about, they get kicked off to the side. Even the guy that could be making the big money in a couple of years, a la Juan Soto, nah, we don't want to hear from him. Or a guy that's been in baseball for five, eight, ten years that you would think he would have more of a say, but uh-uh, he's going to be tossed aside because it's all about what Boris's clients and, of course, Scott Boris the power and the influence that he has over this executive council and over the top echelon players who are making the bulk of the money in the sport, they're going to be the ones that are the brains and are going to make the final decisions. And if it was up to them, we'd have no baseball. But thankfully, the other player reps got involved and they were able to sign on the dotted line and knock some sense into the executive council. And now we have baseball upcoming here three weeks from this coming Thursday. And quickly, let me go, I'll go right through it. So this year, you will have the Universal DH. So, of course, we knew the American League had it for quite some time, but now the National League will move forward with it. We did see it in 2020, but that was based on the 60-game season, the pandemic, etc. We won't have to worry about seven-inning doubleheaders. Thank God, those are a thing, thing of the past. We also may not have to worry, I can't say don't, we may not have to worry about the runner on second starting in the 10th inning. I hope they get rid of that. To me, that was more of a COVID thing to get these games in and so we could all go home and count them. We don't have to worry about that. So right now, I believe it hasn't been finalized, but that's something that I believe they should get rid of. And I think that baseball will pass and say, "Uh uh-uh, let's get back to baseball the way we knew of it prior to 2020. So those are a couple things that you got to keep in mind. 
as the games will kick off here in three weeks. Now we have an increase of playoff teams, so we had five in each league, you're going to have six, 12 playoff teams, so you're going to have one and two seeds, we'll have buys, you'll have three six matchup and a four five matchup and a best of three in the home ballpark of the higher seed. Now there won't be any reseeds after that as, let's say if the three beats the six seed, they're going to play the one seed. So it's not a thing where if the four seed or if the five seed wins, they will play the lower seed, that is, will play the top seed. That's not going to happen. So if a six seed does win, they will play the one seed automatically, so that's fine. But even if the three seed wins, they're going to automatically play the one seed. So you're not going to have a reseed after the opening wildcard games before you get to the division series. And as far as the rules go, the pitch clock will be next year. The shift, I wish it could be this year, but it's not. And then they're going to have bigger bases, which will be, I guess, first base in particular. So you won't have any collisions when it comes to sliding into first base. I don't know if that means the same for second and third. That still remains to be seen. And then you're not going to have an unbalanced schedule next year. So you're not going to have the 19 times playing the same team in the division where you'll have the rest of the games in your league. So let's say if you're the Mets, you're not going to have the Dodgers come into City Field once, or if the Anaheim Angels are going to come to Yankee Stadium once, you're going to have pretty much a split down the middle, for the most part, to where you're going to have both teams in your division come into your city for that given year. Same for the AL Central, the AL West. If you're a Yankee fan, you'll get to see these teams come in twice. How that impacts Interleague, that still remains to be seen. I'm sure you're going to have your inner city rivalries, whether it's Cubs, White Sox, Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, Angels, Giants, A's. I'm sure you're going to have at least four games there. How they split up the rest of those games, that we'll have to wait and see. But that's going to be for moving down the road. I figured I'd just put that out there. So that's what we have with the rules, with the future scheduling imbalance that's not going to be anymore you'll actually have more of a uniform schedule which I actually like yes it's great to develop the rivalries to have the 19 times where the Mets play the Braves Mets play the Phillies etc but break it up it's good to see the Dodgers come twice into town or even the Padres for that matter I know for the old school fan maybe the Giants for the very few New York Giant fans that remain remember that's 70 years ago so that's going to be for 2023, and this year, like I mentioned with the DAs, the doubleheaders, and the runner on second, that will be a change here for this upcoming season. Now, let me get to some of these player movements, because you have a couple that are puzzling, and then obviously with the free agents that are out there, that's going to be just the bulk of what's going to lead into this week, as players are going to report tomorrow, I believe pitchers and catchers reported yesterday, and then you're going to have the everybody, including position players, report tomorrow. Clayton Kershaw back to L.A. for one year. No surprise there because Max Scherzer obviously left there to go to the Mets. Trevor Bauer, you're probably not going to see him in a Dodger uniform based on everything that happened with him last year. So bringing back Kershaw for one year was a no-brainer. That's fine. Anderson Simmons goes to the Cubs. So he'll be your shortstop. No surprise. That's small potatoes. Carlos Rodon, who is a member of the White Sox last year, signed a two-year deal with the Giants, who lost Kevin Gaussman in the offseason to Toronto, I believe. So Rodon is going to be plugged in there as a starter for Gaussman. And we all know the Giants had a 
just a enormous year for them. 107 wins, but they lost in the division round, as we know, to the Dodgers. Now, to a couple of trades. One, I was actually surprised. The Twins trading for Sonny Gray. And the Twins were a team that you didn't think were going to be pretty active here. But bringing in Gray to go along with pretty much not much as far as the rotation is concerned. Because remember, they traded Jose Barrios to Toronto. The Twins, who had a couple of years there where they were in the postseason, had the bomb squad or the bomba squad, if you remember, a few years back. But I guess they're trying to see if they could strike lightning or get the magic or genie coming out of the bottle for maybe some success here in an AL Central that it's pretty much going to be the White Sox when you think about it. But maybe with the extra team, they're going to try to make some noise and go what they have offensively. And I'll get to the next trade that they made, which I'll segue to that, where they traded Josh Donaldson to the Yankees for Gio Urshela and Gary Sanchez. So for years, I've said Gary Sanchez has had to go. Check the receipts. I've been mentioning that all along. And by them bringing in Gio Urshela, who's a very good glove and has a decent stick, and we know about Sanchez that if his head is on straight, he could hit 30, 35 home runs in a sleep, but it's his catching that is just an abomination. But if you're a Yankee fan, this is a move that you cannot like. I get it that you may be attached to Sanchez. I get it that you may even be a little bit attached to Urshela with the contribution that he's been able to put forth here over his short Yankee career. But it was time for him to go. He needed a change of scenery in the worst way. But by bringing in Donaldson, this is wrong on three levels. One, he's 36 years old. You want to get younger, not older. Number two is injury history. Now, granted that yet last year he actually performed well in a twin uniform. The year before that, I understand 60 games, but he was hurt. He only played in, I believe, 27. The year prior to that, he was a member of the Braves where he had a phenomenal year, I believe 35, 36 home runs. But then prior to that, in Toronto, he had a couple of years where I believe he had abdominal issues and was not 100%. He was far from the MVP that he was a few years prior to that in Toronto. So yes, you may get the offense. Yeah, you may get the reputation in the back of his baseball card. But at 36 years of age, uh -uh, I could do without that. That's number one. Number two, I mentioned his injury history. Here's a guy that you can't really rely on or count on, you would think, over the course of 162 games. Let's see if he comes back reinvigorated, he's on a team that's going to win, who knows if he's going to be healthy throughout the course of the year, that remains to be seen, but I would think he's going to be more on the injured side than he's going to play 140, 145 games, and then lastly, and more importantly to me, you're bringing another right-handed bat, the Yankees have a ton of right-handed bats, and even though you can say, well, Jay Reels, they just got rid of Sanchez and Giro Urshela, but yes, you still have Aaron Judge, you still have DJ LeMahieu, you still have Giancarlo Stanton, you still have Gleyber Torres, you still have Luke Voigt, who could be traded at some point, who knows, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets dealt maybe for a pitcher, or maybe for a left-handed bat, who knows, and maybe Anthony Rizzo comes back as the left-handed bat that they need, but you bring in an aging guy, who has a medical history the size of a list for Santa to the North Pole. And I know that's a Christmas joke that obviously we're still nine months away from. And on top of all that, he's another right-handed bat. So what is that like if you're a Yankee fan by bringing in a guy like Josh Donaldson? So that's what you have there with that trade. And then the Mets traded for Chris Bassett, the A's righty who got struck with a ball, if you remember, 
off the bat. I forgot what the player was, but got hit in the forehead, had a lot of surgery, some structural damage, orbital bones, etc. Traded him for just a couple of second round picks or a second round pick in last year or a couple of years ago, JT Ginn, and I believe another pitching prospect. Solid third starter to go ahead of Tyron Walker and David Peterson to round out your rotation. So I thought that was a very shrewd move by GM Billy Epler. Let's see if he could pay some dividends as he was an all-star last year before he got injured. I read that they're going to sign Adam Ottavino. Uh, Really? Have you seen what he's done here in the last couple of years? And I'm sure the Yankee fans probably laughing saying, huh, what a great pickup that is. Now, Ottavino, I get it. The slider is biting. It's tricky. Tough to pick up, etc. But to me, I've seen enough of Ottavino. I get it that you need some sort of reinforcement. Not a familiar went packing and is down the turnpike in Philadelphia. But uh, uh, to me, I could have kept him. Or you could have kept him, not me. But Ottavino was a guy that I certainly did not think was going to be part of this bullpen. But he is. Uh, he's going to be your seventh inning guy to go along with Trevor Mayne. Of course, you have Edwin Diaz at the back of the bullpen. And then now with the free agents, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen with Freddie Freeman? As even the Rays, I believe, threw their hat in the ring to see if they could bring in the World Series champion. I know the Yankees have been in talks. The Dodgers have been in talks. What's going to happen here? You know they're going to have to sign these guys quick, fast, in a hurry. It's just a matter of the years and the money at this point. Same for Carlos Correa. Same for Trevor Story. And I'm sure there are a bunch of other names out there that are at the top of this free agent list. The only thing I could say is, would I be surprised if Freeman comes to the Bronx, maybe on a one year with an opt-out? Because what's going to happen? Freeman's not going to sign on April Fool's Day, where the season is six days later, where he has to get acclimated. And these guys you think are going to come off the list pretty much over the course of the next three or four days. Does it drag into the weekend? Yeah, maybe, but by this time next week, These said players have to have a destination. Whether they go back to their teams for a year and then maybe go into an offseason next year to where they could get their big bucks or do they go ahead and try to look for the big deal five, six, seven years as maybe Correa would. I don't know. I I couldn't even tell you. So that's something we'll keep an eye on and of course also keep an eye on my social media posts on Instagram as well as Twitter, as you'll get an up-to-a-minute thought as to where these players may go and how this all will shake down here over the course of the next week. But we got baseball. And it's great because if we didn't have baseball, at least for the month of April, that would have put a black eye into the calendar because baseball, granted that a lot of people are going to get into the postseason, especially in the NBA, hockey's not until May, but of course with the Masters there in early April, the national title game in that same week. Everybody will be geeked up for the NFL draft later on in the month. Baseball at least gives you something on a day-to-day basis to start off the year. And even though it's going to be kicked up for another seven days, but come April 7th, on the day that the Masters will begin, that's when we'll have baseball. And I know we'll all look forward to that. All right, now who would have thought that here on the 14th of March... As I said earlier, a month ago today was the day after the Rams win in their home stadium, Super Bowl 56, as champions of the National Football League, that going into this week 
where on Wednesday begins the NFL season from the business side and everything with free agency as we all know those first few days are always fast and frenzy but who would have thought that leading up to this week that we would see not only just a ton of player movement but big time player movement and even a story that came through yesterday that had my jaw drop and my eyes open wide but then when I came to my senses I thought about it and said why should I be surprised and I'll get into all that right now which leads to Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz and of course Tom Brady I'll start off with Rodgers. There really isn't anything to talk about here. To me, it would have been news if he would have gone elsewhere or said that I need to take uh, my talents, to use LeBron's words from many years ago, to another city, another organization. That wasn't the case. So to me, who cares? Now we don't have to hear from him until training camp. The second thing, Russell Wilson, that was a surprise because of what the Broncos gave up. And obviously, it was going to be a boatload, as we all knew. Not only was it players, but also first-round picks this year, next year, picks galore to obtain the 33, which I believe will be 34 come next year, or this coming November, I should say. And the Broncos bringing in the former Super Bowl winning quarterback, a move that they felt with their defense and with a new coach, Nathaniel Lockett, that a change of scenery, a new city, some new hope, for Russell Wilson to get the blood boiling, to get the juices flowing, for him to get back to a Super Bowl in a uber-competitive AFC West, and we know who the teams are and the quarterbacks, etc. Of course, this was a move that the Broncos had to make. We saw them do this many years ago when they brought in Peyton Manning. Granted, he was coming off of a serious neck injury, but they knew that the Paxton Lynches, the... Trevor Simeons, the Brock Osweilers of the world weren't going to cut it, so they had to give up pretty much the sun, moon, stars, and galaxy to bring in Russell Westbrook, and it was a smart move and a wise move. Now, you could argue that last year wasn't a great year for him, that maybe he's starting to trend south just a little bit, but you would think at 34 years old, his competitiveness, a better offensive line, Also, more weapons. Granted that he had some good receiver weapons up in Seattle. But I think this is going to be a great fit for Russell Wilson. Again, highly competitive division with Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert. You want to throw in Derek Carr there too. And of course, the conference is loaded with Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson. So if you're going to make it to a Super Bowl in the AFC, you're definitely going to earn it. So that was a great move for the Broncos in that regard. Carson Wentz going to the Washington Commanders, which was a surprise. Granted, they didn't give up a ton. Two third-round picks. I believe one of those picks this year will be a second-round pick. If the I believe that's actually for next year. So, off the top of my head, I believe it's a second round this year. Next year is a third-round pick, and it could be a second round if he plays 70% of the snaps. Why Carson Wentz? To me, that just wreaked desperation. I get it that he's an upgrade over a guy like Taylor Heineke. Heineke does have heart. He does have grit, guts. But at the end of the day, that's not going to get you to where you want to go as far as deep into the playoffs or even to the Super Bowl. And Wentz, we have seen some flashes from him prior to that knee injury that he suffered in LA when he tore his ACL when it looked like he was probably going to be the MVP of the league. And that was also the same year that the Eagles went to the Super Bowl and won. 
But since then, he's had had moments, but he has not been anything close to him being the number two pick overall many years ago. I believe, what was that, in the 2016 draft. So, let's see what's going to happen here with Wentz. Again, if I was the GM of the Commanders, I wouldn't have made that trade. I would have stayed away, but I know with the rebranding of this team and trying to change the culture and the makeup, etc., they felt like they had to do something and Wentz was their guy. All right, so be it. As far as some of these other moves that have taken place, especially with the quarterbacks, I know the Vikings have given an extension to Kirk Cousins. Cousins, we all know, capable quarterback, can do the job, but is he a guy that's going to take you to the mountaintop and win? Obviously, I don't think so. So the Vikings are going to have to deal with Cousins for probably another couple of years. The one wild card in all this is now the circumstances revolving around Deshaun Watson as he was found not guilty on criminal charges to those nine massage therapists so where he's not going to do any jail time. And even though I'm sure he's probably going to face a suspension from the league, you would think eight games at the start, and I'm sure he'll, he'll appeal at that point. But for a team that's desperate for a quarterback and it looks like Carolina is going to be on the hunt to bring Watson at all costs, and also how much they're going to be willing to give up, you would think with his age and with his future that he's going to command some number one picks here, or at least one number one and maybe a two for next year. Who knows? It depends on how desperate the Panthers in particular will be to try to bring in the embattled quarterback from the Houston Texans. I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. This first year is going to be tough. And again, you're not going to probably see him for, I would think, at least six games. Because even if he does get eight, or maybe even does get six, he'll appeal. Maybe he gets four. So he's going to miss a quarter of a year. And I get it that he's a guy you're going to have a building block for down the road. He's not a guy like, let's say, a Russell Wilson where you're going to need him here over the course of these first couple of years to really make the trade stick. This is more of the big picture when it comes to Deshaun Watson. But again, he's going to have this hanging over his head. I understand he's came out and said he's going to clear his name. He's going to restore his image, etc., whatever it may be. But this is one scenario that we're going to have to certainly keep our eyes peeled to see not only where he goes, but what cost is going to be to bring in a guy like Watson to your team considering all the baggage that swirls around them. So that's another scenario that we have to look forward to and you would think it's probably going to happen between now and I would say the draft. So we'll see how that shakes down. Then you've had other teams that look like they were going to end up cutting players due to casualties of the cap where the name is Amari Cooper but then he gets traded to the Browns which will pretty much fill in his spot to where Odell Beckham Jr., when he left Cleveland, now will he be that number one guy? I don't know. But that does give you a pretty solid tandem with he and Jarvis Landry. But then now there's also rumors that maybe Baker Mayfield could be on the move where he could possibly be traded. If you're the Browns, I get it. You're not going to pay him in upwards of $35, $40 million like a lot of these other quarterbacks because just look at his stats on the back of his football card. Definitely not one that's going to even think about a contract that's going to be anywhere of upwards of $200 million and $40 million a year. So with that, the Cowboys would then re-sign Michael Gallup to a $62 million deal. I think it's over five years. I don't even know the whole 
deal of that. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick. But remember, Gallup is coming back from an ACL injury, so we probably won't see him. Yes, it is five years. We probably won't see him for at least a bulk of the regular season. So you have a lot of teams that have been wheeling and dealing here over the last week, knowing that free agency is just two days away, that a lot is going to come through our tickers, through our notifications on our phone, our devices, and it is going to be, as it always is, it is going to be nonstop transactions here, pretty much from midnight, probably even as early as tomorrow. Because just like the NBA, even though the free agent year starts Wednesday, I'm sure you're going to hear rumblings tomorrow about, oh, this team's going to sign this player, that team's going to sign this pass rusher, so on and so forth. And speaking of which, Khalil Mack, how about that with the Bears? They sent all these picks to the Vegas Raiders to bring in Mack, and now he's going to be shipped back to the AFC West, this time as a member of the LA Chargers, and pretty much for what, not even 50 cents on the dollar? Mack, we know he's a game-wrecking pass rusher, and I'm sure he'll be renewed going to a team that has a quarterback, that has some potential to get themselves in position to be a team in the AFC that's going to be a force. So we'll see what happens with Mack as he'll change addresses here throughout the course of the spring and into the summer. You also have Bobby Wagner, another defensive player who was released by the Seahawks. Let's see where he goes, as I'm sure he's going to be a big lift for a team that's looking to get over the top or to get to that next level. You would think he's going to go to a team like that. He's not going to go to a team that may be able to pay him. You know, is he going to come to the Jets, for instance? Probably not, unless the money is going to attract them as opposed to him going to win a Super Bowl. That certainly remains to be seen, but we'll keep our eye on that. And let's get right to it. I, I, I don't even know what to say. Yesterday I was out and about And not even through ESPN. This was through CNN. When I saw the report about Tom Brady returning for his 23rd season as he's going to go back to Tampa. And I got to say, I was fooled. I know he had the Instagram post where he came out and he pretty much said that, oh, thank you to Tampa. It's been a wonderful two years, blah, blah, blah. Now, the one thing in the back of my mind, because he didn't address the Patriots, and I know that caused an uproar with all the Pat fans here in the New England area, but because he didn't have that formal press conference or a lot of the talk was him going to New England to sign a one-day contract and then call it a career, well, obviously he will thank everybody in the organization, the coaches, teammates, obviously Robert Kraft, etc. When he didn't have that day or didn't have that post, I knew that there was an inkling. Now, granted that he had the audacity on Jim Gray's podcast to not mention anything as Gray grilled him on whether or not he was going to retire. And Brady says, oh, you know, this is a process. We're a week removed from losing to the Rams here in the postseason. This isn't something that you will decide overnight or within hours. But then what happened was after that podcast... Literally 13, 14 hours later, he put out the Instagram post. He said, no, it's time to sp- time to settle down and spend time with my family. And they've sacrificed for me all these years. Now i got to sacrifice for them. Well, what happened? I'm sure Giselle can't be happy about that. And that's not my business to say the least. But 
for him to go ahead and, right, he didn't officially retire. Yes, the words were out there, and you could say that you got to base it on what he said and take his word for it. I get it. But that New England thing, him not having any closure with that organization, of course, that's the organization that everybody's going to remember him by. Granted, that his last Super Bowl that he won, and if he does win one next year with the Bucks, will be as a Buccaneer. But we all know he's going into Canton as a New England Patriot. But I guess those words rang hollow, and especially in his household, because here he is, he's going to strap it up for one more year. I just hope this doesn't turn into a Brett Favre thing. And let's hope that you would think he's still going to have a lot on his fastball going into the season, knowing that this is going to be it. Now, he's not going to have Ali Marpet, his one guard who retired just a couple weeks ago, as we know. So that's one part of his offensive line he's not going to get, although they did re-sign the center in a one Ryan Jensen to a three-year deal. So he'll be back part of the offensive line for next year. But now with Brady, we just hope that this isn't going to be a thing where he takes too many hits, that his play falls off precipitously. We don't think that's going to be the case because between his ears, we know how smart he is and how he takes care of his body, etc. We know the whole deal. But let's hope that this is going to be it, whether he wins a Super Bowl or not. Because we all know he has nothing left to prove. There's nothing more that he could do on the football field that's going to impress us. Yeah, I guess win another Super Bowl, but he's already won seven. So would that be a shock to anybody's system? Absolutely not. So, hey, he's Tom Brady. He could do whatever he wants. Yes, there's a part of me that's like, oh, here we go again. Brady fatigue. We're going to have to deal with this for another year. But he's back, people. I I don't know what else to say, but that was just bookended by the beginning of the week with Aaron Rodgers and even with Russell Wilson and now the news of Brady coming back. Who knows what this week's going to bring, but I'm sure it's going to bring a ton of free agent, frenetic, frenzied, just a pace that the football fan is going to salivate over as they usually do every year. And we will definitely see Which players will go where here over the course of the next five or six days? Two other things I want to talk about before I move on. One is Calvin Ridley. Last week it came down that he's banned from the league for 2022 because of some bets that he placed on his own team. Now granted it was to win. So it wasn't as if they were throwing a game and he was injured. So he placed $1,500 in bets in a parlay for his team to win. And for that, he gets banned a year. Which, let's face it, that is not a bit extreme. That is just way over and beyond extreme to the point where I get it, they're trying to send the message. I get it, they're using Calvin Ridley as the example so that if any other players that are out there that are going to do this, they better watch their step. Okay, you want to give him four games or maybe even half a season to where he could appeal that? Fine. Even that, I think, is a bit extreme. But it's not as if this guy had bookies knocking on his door, or worse, some sort of mob, or a bunch of, we'll just say, shady characters that were pretty much around the corner and looking to do away with a one Calvin Ridley to where he owed an exorbitant amount of money to these type of people that are out there. Obviously, that wasn't the case. He was betting through his phone on one of these fan duels or DraftKings, whatever it is. I'm not a fantasy football guy, as you well know, or even a gambling guy for that matter. But 
this wasn't that extreme to where we had to look at and say, whoa, this guy was Pete Rose in disguise. Pete Rose, he was not. And to put down this type of suspension, to me, it doesn't really warrant that. Again, if it was a situation where he was wrapped up in the wrong crowd or wrapped up in guys that were certainly dangerous to say the least, then we could say, oh, geez, he's had a history of this. Oh, these characters obviously are very unflattering. And yes, we have to take a look at the NFL landscape as to are any other players involved in this type of ring when it comes to gambling and especially on his own sport and his own team, etc. No, that's not the case. So for the NFL, and mind you, they saw the Ray Rice video a la Roger Goodell. Oh, we're just going to give him two games. And then when the world got to see the video, it's like, how could you give this guy two games? It's like, oh, my bad. And then we saw what happened after that. So here, it's almost as if, all right, let me strong arm Calvin Ridley to the point where he's not going to play football for the year, so nobody else could do this. But as we all know, the NFL's in bed with all these gambling hotbeds and apps. And uh, please, it's the most hypocritical, contradictory thing that you could ever see known to man. We all know that gambling, the sport revolves around that. Not only just with the point spreads, with the over-unders, obviously with the fantasy football, I, going down the road. It's a joke, and why Ridley got that is beyond me. So just a shame that that took place, but I, we'll see. I'm sure he's going to appeal it. Hopefully he only gets half a season. Hopefully he gets to come back. It's just bad. And then lastly, for ESPN to finally get their marquee tandem in the broadcast booth, As we saw last week, Troy Aikman, and well-deserved, because Aikman by far is the best color commentator, as far as NFL goes, when it comes to the top dogs in each of the networks. Aikman's better than Collinsworth. Aikman is for damn sure better than Romo. And anything that ESPN has to offer, no offense to Brian Greasy, who's now the 49er quarterback coach, and Lewis Riddick, who looks like he may get a front office position at some point. But for Troy Aikman to get his due, to go to ESPN, and then have Joe Buck follow him over, now we're going to have a tandem there that's worth watching on a Monday night, which also means you're going to have better games because there's no way you're going to get the Giants playing the Washington Commanders there on a Monday night in November. You're going to get top-of-the-line games similar to the Sunday night package here moving forward, and kudos because although in the last couple of years it's gotten better as far as their Monday night games are concerned, but to have Buck and Aikman, that's going to be Pleasant to watch, but we're not going to see Buck and Aikman in a championship setting, whether it's for a conference or even a Super Bowl, and that's not going to happen for, I believe, until 2027. So we still have years to go before ESPN ABC gets the Super Bowl. And then not only that, but in a worse scenario for the baseball fan, you're not going to have Joe Buck now a part of the World Series or the Championship Series, whether it's in the AL or NL as he flip-flops every year with the network. Now that he's gone, who's going to be the guy that's going to fill in for baseball? And I get it. Only 400 diehard baseball fans are going to watch. And of course, I'm saying that in jest. But who's going to be your Fox guy now? Is it going to be Joe Davis, the guy that filled in for Joe Buck during the postseason the last couple of years? Is it going to be that guy? Is it still going to be John Smoltz, you would think? Smoltz, I think, is a great color commentator. But now you have that to deal with because come October... I thought Buck was a much better 
baseball announcer than he was football. Although he's good at football, but to me, I, when I think of Joe Buck, I think of Major League Baseball. And now that he's not there anymore, to me that puts a wrinkle in what Major League Baseball, which is already, let's face it, in shark-infested choppy waters as it is, just on the game itself. And when you don't have a lead guy that you could certainly wrap your arms around, that you're just going to have a guy that's going to float in and out, or a guy that you're going to be like, I mean, just look at ESPN over the last few years. The Joe Tessitores of the world. No offense to Steve Levy, but when you don't have that one die-in-the-wool guy that you know loves baseball, that's going to be there for the championship series and for the World Series, a guy that you could certainly rely on and a guy that you could like and listen to, that's going to go a long way. Because people love to listen to Mike Breen do the NBA or Al Michaels do the football or even when he was announcing hockey, Mike Emmerich. That was a guy where you knew, oh, in a big game, you want to hear his voice. What's going to happen with baseball now that Joe Buck is gone? Is there a guy that I like? It's hard. Because baseball, a guy like Dan Schulman, ESPN, he's not going to jump ship because he does all the college basketball. He does the baseball during the regular season, although they cut down their schedule considerably. But I don't know who that guy is. Because after Buck, there wasn't really another guy. Kenny Albert? He's more symbolic with hockey to me than he is with Major League Baseball. And Kevin Burkhart, you think is going to be the probably the lead Fox guy unless they go after Al Michaels when it comes to football. But yeah, I don't know. Baseball's going to be in a bit of a quandary there because come October, I don't know if Joe Davis is going to resonate with the average baseball fan, let alone the diehard baseball fan as a guy that's going to carry you through the end of October and into a World Series. So that's my deal with Joe Buck. Now let me turn my attention to the NBA and NHL real quick before I sign off. And I'm just, this is going to be just a two-pronged attack. I'm not going to really get into what's going on in the league per se as far as the standings because they're pretty much status quo. I know there's some teams that you could say they're riding high and they're playing well and hot and let's see what's going on as far as we're getting deeper into the month of March and obviously with the playoffs starting about a month from this coming weekend. So we will have some playoffs that will take shape. But with the NBA, first and foremost... The Brooklyn Nets now look like they're going to be on the trending side heading north here. Granted, they're still 8th in the conference, but they're at a point where they're, even though three games behind Toronto in the 7th seed, but you would think with, as I counted in my head, 14 games left, they probably won't get as high as 5 maybe four, and I doubt even then. But with Kevin Durant being healthy and the performances that he's put on here, especially yesterday, 53 over at the Barclays against the Knicks. You know, Ben Simmons is going to be part of this mix coming in the not-too-distant future. We saw what happened there in Philadelphia on Thursday as they just eviscerated the Sixers. And granted, it's March, it's not May or June, but it looks like James Harden in a big spot is already prepping for his postseason foibles and failures because that effort there, 3 for 17, I believe he had 11 points in the game. Oh, that was ugly. And I'm sure if you're a Sixer fan, you just cringed at the thought to think that this guy could put up that type of performance in the postseason as we've seen year after year after year. Yes, the likelihood of that happening could be in your future Sixer fans. But to go back to the Nets, 
with that win over Philadelphia as they just, again, ran them out of the building. And then a close game against the Knicks in their building. More so, speaking of which, in the building, Kyrie Irving was in the Barclays for the first time this year. Came out, had a warm applause. I didn't watch it, I didn't see it, but knowing that it was a warm applause, we know that he has this relationship with the fans. I'm sure, hey, if he's scoring game-winning baskets come May and June, it's going to be a whole lot different, much different story than you're going to see right now. But I'm sure the trust factor between the fans and Kyrie, it's tenuous right now. And I understand it's not all on him, but we know Kyrie's a different dude, and we would think that as long as he's healthy, he's going to go full bore here between now and the end of the season, which now leads to him being in the building. We know about him being unvaxxed. But for Kevin Durant to call out Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City afterwards, a little strong. He could probably ease back. I get it that he's a big mouthpiece and someone that the league is going to pay attention to in a one Kevin Durant. And I'm not knocking him from that regard. But he did send that message to Eric Adams to say, okay, figure it out as we need to get Kyrie in the building. To be honest with you, he doesn't even need to figure it out because he should be playing as early as this past week. I was out and about yesterday, and as I've said time after time, I am not the morality police. I could care less at this point. But all these bars, all these restaurants, I don't go to a gym, but I've been out over the weekend And these places have been packed to the brim. Nobody wearing a mask. Understood, you're in a restaurant, you're going to eat, drink, whatever. But it is pre-2020 pandemic style. And for this city to not have Kyrie in uniform playing at home games is inexplicable at this point. He should be playing. And it's not on him. And you could say to a certain extent it's a city. But if we've pretty much opened up to the point where We don't have to worry about showing vaccination status going into any indoor facility. We don't have to pretty much worry about masks at the moment, as I believe that mandate is pretty much by the board. So why can't he play? Why do we have to wait for Eric Adams? Why can it be a thing where, yeah, he should be playing? And I get it that Adams, his focus was not just on Kyrie. It was about all the other workers that were going to come in here to pretty much be a part of the fabric of the city, whether it's the cop, was the fireman, the healthcare workers, etc. He had to include them as well. There couldn't be any exclusivity just for Kyrie Irving to be a guy that's unvaxxed and to be a part of his team and to play here in home games. No, that should be all gone by now. Because as I said, and if you live in the city and you walk around and you go even in the subway, you got a lot of people that are unmasked. So why isn't he playing? He should be playing as early as yesterday and I hope that he'll be playing sometime this week. I don't even know if the Nets are, I'm sure they have a home game this week, but yeah, that's just a disgrace. To me, and I'm not trying to say, oh, the pandemic is over, but no, I'm not trying to go that route, but I don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that a lot of people are out and about. St. Paddy's Day is this coming Thursday. The tournament bars are going to be loaded. Nobody's going to be thinking about COVID going into these you know establishments. So, If that's the case, Kyrie should be playing. That's all I got to say about that. But more on the NBA next week. And the NBA is going to take a little bit of a tumble here because of the tournament. So that's expected and that's fine. 
But we'll certainly keep an eye on what teams are going to be at the forefront here as we get down to the final few weeks of the season. And I do have to say this about LeBron James. Yesterday, he finally broke the 10,000 assist mark for his career to where he's the first player to record 10,000 points, rebounds, and assists. And to me, it's not even about that. It's about him scoring 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 10,000 assists. And we can now argue, as far as a career, we're not talking about all-time, we're not talking about number one status, whether your name is Michael Jordan, whether your name is Bill Russell, you want to throw in Kareem, you could do that too. And Kareem, when we think of a whole career, start to finish, a lot of people look at Abdul-Jabbar as having the best career overall. You can't say Jordan because remember, he had the time off in the middle of his career. Yes, I understand he bookended it with two three-peats, but then he had the two years off and then the Wizards, which a lot of people, eh, small potatoes. But as far as a career, in its scope, in its entirety, Jabbar had that. But now you could argue that LeBron James probably if not ranks as one, two, maybe number one all time, because as long as I'm alive and Lord knows, I hope I'm here for another 40 years at least. Are we ever going to see a player score 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds and 10,000 assists? I don't think so. So that in itself right there, he belongs in the top two of all time of greatest NBA careers. Yes, we know he's lost six finals. Yes, we know about people can't stand them. We're talking about what he does on the court. So for that alone, I applaud you, LeBron, for that achievement, which is one that hasn't been done in the history of the sport and probably will never, as long as I'm alive, ever happen. So congrats, my guy, for that achievement. And then lastly, NHL real quick. Jack Eichel, his return, I talked about it a lot last summer. The controversy about his surgery where the Sabres, and I won't go into specifics, you got to go check the receipts on this, but the reason why he was traded... He wanted to get his team, meaning his agents, wanted to get this artificial disc in his spine, neck area, to where the Sabres didn't want to do that. And then shortly thereafter was traded to the Vegas Golden Knights, actually came back sooner than expected to where earlier last week he had his first game in Buffalo in a 3-1 loss and where he had some spicy things to say in the postgame where Eichel came out and said, wow, I never heard the building this loud, even in the six and a half years that I played here. So he took a shot at the Sabre fans, obviously didn't like the booze. Uh, what could you say? Uh, Eichel, could he handle it a little bit better? Of course, but he's still a young kid. What is he, 24, 25 years old? And yes, he couldn't take the pounding. And the Sabres, who, as we all know, have had a lost year, got their pound of flesh not only to their former number two overall pick, but also beat the Golden Knights in the process. So for what that's worth, that was newsworthy, I thought, because granted, he's not Wayne Gretzky. Granted, he's not a guy of a generational ilk that was going to change the landscape of the sport. He's not Sidney Crosby. He's a great player. I'm not knocking him from that perspective, but he is not that guy that was going to change the whole landscape of the league a la Gretzky in 88 when he went to LA or even a guy like Eric Lindros for instance who had all the pop and circumstance leading up to his NHL career Sidney Crosby, the Ovechkins of the world guys like that that you know 
that once that trade was made, you circled your calendars to say, oh, we got to watch this game to see what the response is going to be like. And obviously the response was pretty much what a lot of people thought and expected. And Eichel, eh, didn't handle it too well, but I get it. At least he wasn't too spicy or saucy to the fans to where he just kind of thumbed his nose at it. And then Alexander Ovechkin surpassed Yarmir Yager, so he's third all-time in goal scored. Next is Gordy Howe, which we'll have to concentrate on next year. Gordy Howe at 801, and of course Wayne Gretzky at 894, so we'll keep our eyes to see where Ovechkin lands at the end of the regular season, which is still six weeks from this coming Friday. So there's still a lot of hockey to be played. He's not going to get to 800 this year. He still has to score another, what, 30-some-odd goals to get there, so... That you don't have to worry about. And next week I'll get into a little bit more NHL as I try to wrap this up. And with that being said, I will do so. Let me get right to it. My hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week goes to former NFL lineman Alejandro Villanueva, who retired from the NFL six years with Pittsburgh, his final year being in Baltimore last year as he hangs it up. We know about where he came from, Army Ranger, what he meant to the armed forces at the time when he was part of the Army. Then parlaying that into an NFL career where he was a stout left tackle for many years, but he started to wear down here a little bit over the last couple of years, as was shown. But still, kudos goes out to you, Alejandro, for all that you've done. Thank you for your service. You had a very good career to boot. So you are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to ESPN baseball writer Jeff Passan. And I understand this may be a little bit old by now. It's about eight or nine days old. But for him... To come out in a column to pretty much break out the pom-poms, the coconuts, palm trees, fireworks, confetti for the players saying that if they took this deal, and I'm going to be blunt here, that if they took the deal last week before they settled late in the night into the morning, Tuesday and Wednesday, that it was a shit sandwich, that, my friends, automatically gets you a zero of the week. Who is he to tell the players what to sign, what not to sign, to be that type of influence or to have that type of credibility to just say, guys, if you do this, you're crazy. How could you even sign off on this? Nobody wants to hear from you, Jeff Passon, on that. You're a writer. Try to call it down the middle. I get it. If there's a little bit of a bias there, all right, fine. But geez, to the point where you're actually going to shout out a profanity in your writing and to say, uh-uh, you know, you guys would be crazy to take this deal. That will lead you front and center, my guy, to being my zero of the week. That'll do it, episode 242, just about in the books. But as always, I thank each and every one of you for taking the time out to listen to what it is that I have to say. Your participation does not go for granted. I am eternally grateful for you to pass by, spend some time with me, to hear your boy spew my thoughts, opinions, analysis on everything that goes on. And if you haven't done so, if I could just ask you, as I said at the top, and I'll say now, to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review, let's increase the visibility of this podcast. And as I said last week, moving forward, actually three weeks from this coming Thursday, you're going to hear me twice a week, so you'll have two shows per week. We're going to really ratchet it up to the point where, yes, you're going to get J-Reels twice, and get that double dose of sports talk, not just every Monday, but also every Thursday, so... Definitely stay tuned for that as we continue to march on through this month of March. So again, please subscribe, rate, and review. I'd appreciate it. 
If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, you could do so at the following on Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels, one just the number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page. And then the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to respond ASAP. And then lastly, to contribute to the podcast, you could do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, I would sincerely and greatly appreciate it because what that's going to do is going to be 100% towards the production, website, equipment, any and everything that has to do with this podcast is going to go to that so I could come that much crisper through your speakers or earbuds, the production to be top notch, to go along with all the others that are out there, to be that guy that you want to come to listen to week in and week out, not just once, but twice a week in the not too distant future. Because if you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about people. If you didn't pick up on this over the past hour and a half, then I guess I either got to step my game up more or maybe, I don't know, you got to have to then... Maybe take the wax out of your ears. I know, I'm being a little silly here at this point. But in all seriousness, it's in my blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. Sports has been at the tip of my tongue for 50 plus years. And I'll continue to do so as long as the good Lord has me on his green earth. Because I love to break down, analyze, thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise on any and everything that's happening. In the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy the madness this coming week and everything that the sports world has to offer. Until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>